0: Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your poor repository of football history. And welcome to another day where we get to talk to footballarchaeology.com's Timothy P. Brown about one of his great tidbits that he writes each and every day about uh, football of yesteryear. Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for having me on and
1: look forward to talking about two-platoon football.
0: Yeah, why don't you you first uh, let's give you a title. You titled this tidbit back in October of twenty twenty two, the first two platoon all America team. And why don't you explain to the audience what two platoon football is and you know what what was significant about this all America team?
1: Yeah, so you know, you know, back in the day, uh, foot well originally, uh, if you played a football game, you put your 11 guys or 15 guys out there and uh you that's who you played with there was no substitutions uh then they started allowing substitutions but you know pretty much it was if you once you came once you left the game you were out just like soccer remains today you know same game they came from the same origin so same similar rules applied uh but over time football allowed substitutions in certain instances but for the most part until 1941 if you you know once you're out you're out you know you just there were no no go backs right and so uh in 1941 because of concern about the you know there were a lot of guys enlisting and there were you know i'm not sure if they were being drafted yet or not but either way there were a lot of college age men were uh, heading into the military even you know pre- pre Pearl Harbor. And so they were concerned about uh, roster sizes. And um, so they, they basically passed a rule that allowed coaches to substitute anytime they wanted to in a game. And so the, the funny thing is this is, you know, I think that at multiple levels, this is a story of how much people follow tradition as much as the rules. So they, um even though the rule was passed in 41 pretty much without exception only people that got substituted in in the way that we think about it today were kickers and punters you know so coaches would bring in those kinds of people but they and even those were very few cuz typically your punter kicker was your halfback or somebody you know one of the regular players and so Um, but then in 1945, Michigan had a really depleted roster and they were going to play, you know, army, which had, you know, Blanchard and Davis and a bunch of other guys. And they just knew they were just going to get their lunch handed to them. And so Fritz Kreisler, the coach was looking for, you know, some way to try to, um, you know, give his team an advantage. And so he realized, hey, the way this rule is written, I can I can swap my offense and defense out whenever I want to, or swap players in whenever I want to. He, even though nobody's done it, the rule says I can. So I mean, from his vantage point, he was exploiting a loophole, right? I mean, not in the way the rule was written, but in the way it had been traditionally applied. So um, so he does that against the army. He basically plays offensive and defensive units. I think there were three or four guys who play both ways. They're, you know, that much better uh, players. And then other coaches picked up on that and they started doing it. And for the next couple of years, then the two platoon, you know, the old, no substitution was, was called single tune and two platoon, what became, you know, kind of the, the standard term for swapping offensive and defensive players. And so, um, so then that's fine. And there it, it was gaining, you know, gaining speed. Um, but it still wasn't until 1948 that anyone named an All American team that had two platoons. So in 1945, 46, 47, they still kept naming a single platoon All American team. So 11 guys, no specialists, right? And, um, so then finally this organization called the NEA, which was a big, it was kind of like the UPI or the AP or somebody, you know, along those lines at the time, um, they named and, um, they named a two platoon all American team in 1948. So just, you know, some of the guys whose names, you know, a lot of people probably will recognize as Charlie Justice, who was a back at, you know, North Carolina, Doak Walker of SMU. Eddie LeBaron, who played at Pacific, some guy named Daryl Royal, who was at Texas, and then uh, Leon Hart at Notre Dame. He was the only player that was named both to the offensive and defensive team. Um, so then the, the other thing I just it doesn't so much relate to 1940. But I just find it really interesting mm-hmm. is that it was not until the 1980s that all American teams added kickers and punters to their rosters. Right. So, I mean, it took all that. So, you know, we had moved into specialist players. I mean, even, even in through the sixties, were still a lot of kickers and punters who were everyday players, right. You know, Don, like I grew up. So Don Chandler, he was an end originally and kicked, was a kicker as well. Donnie Anderson was the punter and he was a halfback, you know. So there were, there's a lot of that going on. And uh, like George Blanda, you know, he was a quarterback.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Lou Groza, (laughs) lineman.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can just go through, there's a whole slew of guys like that. And so, um, But so, anyways, you know. But clearly, specialists had come into the game, especially after the you know onset of the soccer-style kicker in the in the '60s, you know, with the Golgolax and others. Um, but it wasn't until the '80s that they, you know, they named separate punters and kickers. So just, you know, it's an amazing thing that that it took that long.
0: Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't realize that about the punters and kickers. I thought that would have been, you know, going on for a while. I thought, like, man, that's that's uh, great stuff. So, uh, you know, I guess the, the kickers today, even though they feel that they're shunned uh, by the rest of football and looked down upon a little bit, of not being, you know, sometimes called not real football players and and everything, they would have really been pissed back uh, in the seventies when they weren't even honored <laughs> at. <that.
1: laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and the funny thing about it is, like, you know, if you go back. And you read the newspaper reports of guys who were named All-American in the teens and the 20s and 30s and whatnot. Um, A lot of backs were named, you know, especially in the heavy punting years, you know, they were named as much for their punting ability as for their running ability or their passing ability. You know, punting was just so important to the game, and they were the ones that did it.
0: Yeah. Wasn't like Jim Thorpe, one of the greatest uh, punters and drop kickers of of all time. And that's sort of what some of his fame was besides his running. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, that's the, the triple threat, you know, the whole thing is the running, passing and kicking, you know, either form of kicking, but typically punting. So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, there's, I mean, you just can go on and on about the, The number of guys who, um, who were especially running backs, but you know fullbacks, fullbacks, a lot of times were like the big studs of the teams in the twenties and thirties, and you know a lot of them were were really, really effective punters.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess, uh, you know, World War II, it it changed the world and it changed the world of football too. So you sort of that line of debarkation between the single platoon and the, the dual platoon because of the rule changes and, you know, a substitution. So very interesting. Great stuff.
1: Well, then in, in college, they went back to single platoon in 52. The pros, you know, once the pros went, you know, uh, swapping offensive offense and defense. They never looked back, <laughs> you know, because game was much more about entertainment and everything. But with, once you went to two platoon, you needed more coaches you needed bigger rosters. um The coaches became more specialized. I mean, if they think about how much more complicated the game has become and a lot of that's because it's two platoon, you know, if, if you only have so many minutes a week to impart, you know, knowledge and techniques to players, if you got to cut it in half, well, you know, it can't be as complicated, you know, you just can't complicate it as much. So these coaches studied just defense and coach just defense. So, I mean, it, it, it really, it's, you know, certainly among the top four, five, six rules in terms of the effect on the game, but the colleges went back in 52 to, to dual platoon, really, as a cost saving measure. And then, you know, kind of slowly and then especially in the late 50s and early 60s, swap it over. And by 64, is pretty much Katie bar to the door, you know, totally
0: two platoon. Wow. Uh, amazing stuff. And you, you sit there and you think about how good athletes these guys had to be to be on the field for, you know, 60 minutes or 48 minutes, whatever it was at the time. It might have been longer than that back in that era. Did they have longer? longer halves back then too like 35 minute halves or
1: yeah that was more uh that was all like pre-1912 or something like that you know i mean that was earlier yeah Yeah. but i mean just think about it in terms of just the the shape of you know what players look like i mean you you know you've got these six eight six nine three hundred forty pound guys running around now can't play a 60 minute game
0: they just can't. No, they, they can't yeah. even take all the offense or defensive snaps, you know, unless you're an offensive lineman or a quarterback, you're you're probably going to get substituted in while your team is on the field and, and that uh, that genre, that offense or defense. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, my, part of my argument is always look at world-class rugby teams and they've got guys for 6'3", 260, you know, running around and as the, you know, kind of the forwards blocking. um You know, they're the guys leading the scrum, but there aren't, you know, there aren't the kind of guys that you see in the NFL or, you know, almost any major college team. And nowadays half the D3 teams have, you know, kids are 300 pounds plus, mm-hmm. right? You know? Um, you know, so it's, you know, you just can't, you can't play like that in a, in a 60 minute game, especially when there were far, there weren't TV tops, there weren't, you know, anywhere, there weren't anywhere near the number of passing completions. There weren't that many balls out of bounds. The ball went out of bounds and the clock kept running. I mean, all that kind of, you know, the, the rules were so much different. Um, and so the body types were different, but wow, yeah, amazing stuff.
0: Yeah. Tremendous. But well, Tim, you know, we, we enjoy these stories and, and, you know, learning about these little pieces of football, which this one's a pretty major story of the evolution of football. But, uh, you know, you you share with these uh, these stories and sometimes they're just fun and entertaining. Sometimes they're real serious and game changing like like this one was. And, and you call them your daily tidbits. And maybe you could tell folks how they can enjoy your daily tidbits.
1: Yeah. So, you know, best thing is just go to footballarchaeology.com and you know subscribe you can subscribe for free you'll get an email as a result you'll get an email every night at seven o'clock uh, with that day's story and otherwise you can follow me on on twitter sometimes called x but i don't call it that and then
0: uh nobody does I'm, you
1: know, <laughs> you can also uh catch me on on uh, the Substack app on threads and uh or just you know, bookmark the site and pop in whenever you want.
0: Well, Tim, we really appreciate you educating us and sharing your knowledge on football history. And uh, we'd love to talk to you again next Tuesday about another one of your tidbits.
1: Well, I think we can find something to chat about next week. So I'll <laughs> leave that up to you. <laughs> so thanks much.
0: special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast.
2: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network.